0: So, uh, when we were kids, uh, we used to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings. And one of the cartoons we used to watch was uh, Roadrunner. And Roadrunner would be constantly chased by Wiley Coyote. And Co- Wiley Coyote would get these, the, hey, he'd have these detailed plans, and usually he'd had sticks of dynamite. And he always got his, his stuff from Acme Company. And that's all I remember about it. But what I do remember is he never caught the Roadrunner. And inevitably, after he's, cha- he finally would get to the point where he's chasing the roadrunner, and he goes off this high cliff and he's standing there just at the high cliff and he's kind of looking at the camera, I know, it's a cartoon, so I don't know if you're looking at a camera, but he's looking at this, you know, at, you're, you're watching him and his eyes turn to you and he, it's almost like he's going, I don't really want to look down because the minute I look down, I'm going to fall. And sure enough, he looks down and he begins to fall. I think that's a picture of what's happening in our world today. I think that there are a lot of people who are disillusioned with life. They're struggling with purpose and meaning. I think they haven't found fullness and, and just a reason to get out of bed. I think they, some people are so Uh, burdened by life and struggling with life and just trying to find any meaning at all in life that they have given up some have looked down and they realize their life has no meaning it has no purpose it has no reason to live and we've seen suicide and in the last 20 years suicide has the suicide rate has gone up by 30 percent we read about it more and more in the paper, or online. The book of Ecclesiastes is kind of an interesting book because there's this guy who writes it, probably it's Solomon, but he, he addresses, he calls himself teacher, the teacher. And you don't want to think of a kindergarten teacher. You really want to think more of a professor, college-level professor. That's kind of what you're thinking. And what he's going to do is he's going to push you in the book of Ecclesiastes about the purpose and meaning of life. In fact, he, he, he's, and, and here's the other thing too, he's not going to give you the answer. You know, we've all had different teachers, and some teachers, they give you all the answers. They tell you what you should believe and what all the answers are to all the questions. And then there's other teachers that don't give you the answers. They want you to discover it on your own. Some of you didn't like those teachers. Some of you like the fill-in-the-blank, you, know, you know, he'll give you all the answers, she will give you all the answers, and you just fill in the blank, and they tell you what to believe, and you say, that's easy. You didn't like the professors that, that made you wrestle and made you ask questions and, and pushed you to your limits. And when you say, well, what should I, what should I, what sh- what's the answer? And he'd say, or she'd say, well, what do you think it should be? What, what What is it, the answer? Discover it for yourself. So with that in mind, what we want to do is we want to read a, a number of verses in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, and then we're going to talk about it. And this is one of those messages that as we close out a year, and as we think about moving into a new year, uh, I think it's a good time to take a little bit of inventory of our lives. So let me begin by reading Ecclesiastes uh, And it's uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 18 verses. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utter meaninglessness. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain? Now that phrase, what do people gain? That word gain, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. What do people gain from all their labors at which they they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never enough of seeing, nor the ear is it fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which we can say, look, there's something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was the king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. That's a key phrase, under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. That's another key phrase. It's parallel with under the heavens. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and of folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Now go and be blessed. (laughs) Right? It's dark, right? Uh, There's a couple things that I want you to see. The teacher's challenging his his readers, and us, what do we gain from the labors in which we toil under the, uh, the sun? What, what do we gain? What, in other words, he's saying, what is the purpose of life? The word gain is used of something of permanent value. In other words, he's saying, what permanent value is there of what you've done this past year? Where's your life really going? What really matters in your life? What is... What is the purpose of your life? That's the question he wants you to look at. And what he's saying is, he's saying, "Wily Coyote, look down. Because you have to see where your life is going. The phrase, under the sun, under heaven, is an important phrase that's used in the book. It means that it's a life solely lived on a horizontal plane without God. A life without God. That's the the, the theme of the book. What is is the purpose of, of a life lived without God under the sun, under heaven. And he gives three, three uh, answers to the question. There's three ways that people live today. And they're in your notes uh, on the front of your uh, bulletin. You'll see those. There's three ways in which people live today. Uh, the first one is humanism. Humanism basically says, I'm here to make the world a better place. My goal in life is to make the world a better place. And, and this is what we hear many times at funerals. We hear this, uh, you know, Bob has lived a good life. He's loved his wife. He's uh, loved his kids. He's been a good businessman in the community. Bob left the world a better place than he found. It. And why do we say that about Bob? Well, we say that about Bob because we want to believe or think that Bob's life has some has some meaning and purpose and you'll you'll see that at funerals people will say even with people you say i don't think they left the world a better place in fact they were just kind of like messing things up all over the place well they like to cook you know they'll say things like that and the the point is they're saying there's got to be some redeeming value as to this person's life but the teacher responds to us and says, Nonsense. Your life under the sun is insignificant. No one will remember you. Your life is merely a vapor. He says, Generations will go on. And in, in, in two or three generations, your life, the memory of your life, will be completely forgotten. Now, doesn't that just encourage you? <laughs> He says, no one will remember the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Our lives are but a flash in the pan. That's what he says, your life is a vapor, it's a flash in the pan. It's not going to last. Now here's the point, there's a lot of people in our culture to believe that. But they don't look down. They don't want to think about it. They, don't want to, they, they just want to live the illusion that their life has meaning. It has purpose. That we can live without God, under heaven, without, with a purpose and with meaning and may, leave the world a better place. And what they're doing is they're doing the wily coyote look and they're just saying, as long as I look this way, I'll be okay. But the minute I look down and I realize... Twenty or thirty or forty or fifty years from now, no one is even going to know I existed, and no one's even going to care. I can't live with that. They live as though their lives have some sort of meaning, but they to look down to live their lives according to the honesty of their beliefs is impossible. So that's that. That that's you know humanism. The second view is hedonism, and hedonism is part of our American culture. These are all part of our American culture, and essentially hedonism, or hedonism says, I'm here to find pleasure in life and work, so I want to I enjoy creativity. I want to write a poem. I want to uh, write a story. I want to hug a child. I want to take a ride in a boat on a beautiful lake. I want to enjoy family, enjoy working with my hands but, but I don't want to think too much in life. I don't want to look down. In other words, I want to pleasure. I want to experience pleasure. and I want to experience life. And I want to live life. A lot of young people today that say, I don't really want to be burdened with a job and taking care of a family and getting all in. I just want to live my life. You know, It's interesting because as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, that's essentially what Solomon, I think Solomon's the teacher, and I think essentially that's what he does. He goes after all these pursuits. Um, He he tries, uh, for instance, he says this in Ecclesiastes 2.10, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Now Solomon was in a place where he could try everything. He was one of the most powerful and the richest kings to walk the earth at that time. And we're told uh, that, that he did. He tried a lot of things. Now, we're told in our pop culture, by our pop culture, to live for ourselves. Don't hurt anyone, but live for yourself. Living for yourself is the purpose of life. And the, the teacher tried living for pleasure for self. Um, and so, living under the sun means that you're living on this horizontal level. that w- And... and uh, Basically, Solomon says, I tried gardening, I tried different wines, I tried uh, sexual encounters, I tried just everything, I tried it all, I tried it all, I tried it all. And he goes on and he talks about it. But here's the thing. What Solomon says is, when when we come down to it, when you take this view and you say, all there is is this horizontal there is no vertical. There is no God. Under the, under the sun means there is no God. There is no spirit world. There is just this natural world. Then our feelings, our thoughts are nothing more than a biological process. The result, we're the result of an accidental collision of molecules. The thoughts you're having right now about, man, he's really, he's really dumping this sermon right now. Those are I'm not offended by that because that's just a chemical reaction in your brain. C.S. Lewis wrote a great article shortly after the atomic bombs, bombs were detonated in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan. And the article was called, On Living in an Atomic Age. And the gist of the article was, he wrote it a few weeks after the these detonations, because everybody's thinking, oh man, we're going to blow up the world. We've got the capacity now to really do some damage and blow up the world. People are still afraid of that, and we don't think about it, so we are not afraid of it. But uh, basically, at that time, it was it was beyond belief of what the destruction of what the atomic bombs did in in these two cities. And so he wrote an article, and it was a very interesting article. Essentially, what he says is kind of what the writer of Ecclesiastes says: "You're afraid we're doomed. We are, we are doomed. I, I mean, in a sense, your life is going to end." With its, within its allotted time, you live, your life will be forgotten, and your existence will be just a drip in time. In other words, what, 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 uh, what C.S. Lewis basically says in this article, the gist of the article is this. You're worried about the atomic bomb, but you don't realize that your life will be forgotten. Your life has a, 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 a period of time, a very short, it's a drip, it's a drop, it's a, a vapor, it's a mist, it's, it's fragile. And you're worried about an atomic bomb. That's like being in the Titanic with it going down and worry about a boiler that's not working correctly. The the ship is going down. (laughs) The ship is going down. Now some of you are saying, okay, so I'm really having a hard time finding any positive here. That's the point that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to do. He's trying to get you to look down. And when you look down, and you're just looking horizontally under heaven, there's no hope. You're on a sinking ship, and you don't worry too much about a damaged boiler. And the teacher calls this life under the sun. Now, people who live their life for pleasure are just refusing to look down. They're refusing to admit they're on a sinking ship. They're refusing to see that life under the sun is meaningless. So you can you 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 can uh, you can say uh, you can go back and you can say, well, you know, I believe that I'm here to make the world a better place. Well, that's great, but how much of a difference are you really going to make? You could say, well, you know, I'm here to just enjoy life and just do what I can. Well then don't look down because that's going to wreck your life the third view is really a little more honest and it's uh existentialism and it's essentially it's this it says life may be cruel and senseless but i'm going to live with courage contentment and integrity in spite of in other words i know life sucks i mean it stinks it's you know the bottom line is life isn't fair life isn't good bad things happen and 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 we live and we die and we're done I get all of that but you know what I'm gonna live my life to a higher level I'm gonna live my life with courage contentment and integrity in spite of it I'm gonna rise above it now at least they're looking down and they're trying to live with an integrity of their beliefs they say, this world is cruel and senseless, but I'm going to live with purpose and meaning. They're going to, give, they're going to make sure that they're, they live with courage, contentment, and integrity. The problem is, where do, you get a, where do you get a standard of courage, contentment, and integrity? Where do you even get this? Where do you get these values? And who says living with courage is better than living with the opposite? Who says living with integrity is a good thing? I mean, who says that? If we're a product of biological molecular collisions and luck and chemical processes, if we're just that, then who's to say that that's true? existentialism says my origin is insignificant my destiny is insignificant but while I'm here I must work for human rights every human is valuable we need to treat each other with dignity and give each other equal rights and justice and respect I agree with that but I don't know how you get that from existentialism in looking at the world under the sun where do you get that? Where, where do you get that value that you should do that? And who's to say somebody who has an, exactly the opposite in their chemical reaction and their atoms and all of the different biological processes going on with them is wrong and yours is right? That's the whole point. Where do you get that? Where does that come from? See, that's the problem with the existentialism. At least they acknowledge the problem, but they said, I'm going to live my life with virtue. And you say, Why? Why is that a good thing? you're, You're speaking as though it's a good thing. Where do you get that from? Where does that come from? Who told you that people are valuable and that you should have human rights? Why is treating people with dignity and respect a good thing? Who told you it was? See, in the end, any thought that you might have about the reality of this world, the, the idea of love, courage, and kindness are merely chemical reactions in your brain. They have no basis for their beliefs. See, you have no basis for your beliefs. You can live that way, but uh, we shouldn't pat you on the back. I mean, because if your origin in, is insignificant and your destiny is insignificant, have the guts to admit that your life is insignificant. Because the whole point of living that way is to make my life significant. See, here's what i found. People get down on Christians and they say, oh, you Christians. You have to look to God to make sense of life. You have to look to God to feel loved. You have to look to God to believe there's life ever after. You can't just deal with this life. I'm just saying, man, you're making it up pretty good yourself. You're making up a whole bunch of things. You're saying... People have dignity and should be treated with dignity and human rights and all that. I'm thinking, I agree with that, but I don't know where you're getting it from. You're living a fantasy world. See, the teacher here in all of these views is calling us to wrestle with our worldview. To look down, to be honest, to think rather than to live with an illusion of purposeful life. The whole point is, what's the purpose of life? All right. Have I strung you along to enough? long enough? Can, I, can, I, can we go to, rather than talk about the horizontal, we can go to the vertical and talk about the Christian answer to this? So what is the answer to life? What is the purpose? Well, the New Testament book of John tells us. So what you have to understand, and you may not know this, in the first, in the book of First uh, John, it, or in the book, Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So y- you may have wondered when you read that, what is with the Word? What's this word, logos? Why is John using Word? I, you know, when I first read the Gospel of John, I understood that later on, John says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and it's Jesus, and I get all that. But I'm thinking, well, why do you just say in the beginning was Jesus? Why do you do that? Why do you say the word? Well, in that day, the Greek philosophers were looking for the purpose of life. They were looking for the logos of life. The logos of life. Confucius said the purpose of life was to love and honor your parents. So all you parents are going, yes, I'm going to agree with Confucius there. (laughs) Uh, but every school of philosophy was looking for the logos of life, the purpose of life. And John writes these words. Let me read them to you. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word logos, and the word logos was with God, and the word logos, and I'm just saying logos after the word, that Greek word is logos, okay? Okay. And the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. And then jump down to verse 14, that was verses 1 through 3. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth." So John tells us the Logos, the Word, is not a concept or a philosophy, but a person. The purpose of your life is not a concept, it's not a philosophy, it's a person. It's a person. The Logos is not a, is not a truth brought by a person, but a person. The Logos is not something you find in a book. The Logos is a human being. God has landed. He, is, he dwells with us. We have seen the glory of the Logos. Now, what are the implications of that? What does that mean? Well, number one. So, in other words, essentially, let me just say this. What we're saying is the, the teacher says if you just look under the sun on the horizon, purely horizontal that all there is is the material universe, you have to come to a conclusion that life is meaningless. That's essentially what he's saying. What John says, and and by the way, the teacher would, would agree with this, because as you'll see later on, he basically brings that vertical perspective. There is a God, there is a spirit world, not just a physical world, but a spirit world. And so John brings it in and says, uh, the logos, the one you've been looking for, the purpose of life is not a philosophy, it's not a teaching, it's a person, and his name is Jesus, and he came and he dwelt with us, and he made everything, okay? So in other words, uh, John is bringing a spiritual principle and he's bringing the vertical in. And and John, a couple things that, the, the implications of John's word, number one, your life matters, our lives matter. Um, we're not an accident, there's a creator He's, there's a sustainer to our world who has a plan for this world and our lives. Well, that changes things a lot because we've just moved from under this horizontal world that says we're random, it's a chemical reaction, it's luck, it's chance, it's, it's uh, molecules moving, uh, it, it's an evolutionary process, uh, but there is no creator, there is no beginning, and there is no end. And what this says, what John says, is there was a beginning of this world. There is a creator over this world. There is a plan for this world. And not just for this world, but for your life. Here's the point I want you to see. Our lives are more than matter. We are physical, but there is also a spiritual part of of life. There is someone and something beyond us. So it's important for us to see that. So the first thing is our lives matter. And there's more than matter, right? Secondly, your choices matter. There's someone who gives purpose and meaning and value to our lives. Everyone is made in the image of God. Human rights come. Uh, out of our Christian view of this world. Our Christian view of this world says we are created in the image of God. And if you read through the book of Genesis, 9-6 says, do not take a man's life because they are made in the image of God. And all through Scripture we see that life is valuable because God says life is valuable and we are created in the image of God. There is one who gives value to life. We don't give value to it. We don't make it up and say, well, I'm going to live my life as though men are valuable because that's the way I feel. That's the way I think. No, we we have a Creator who created us who says all life is valuable. Treat all life with dignity and respect. Our actions towards one another matter. There is an ultimate right and wrong. Someone is always watching. That's what John is saying. John is saying there is a God who's over everything. And and this right or wrong, this to live my life with virtue and truth and and justice and and, um, all these other values that we have. We say, why should I do that? Because there is a God who compels me to live that way. Who desires me to live that way. Who made me to live that way. The point is, you read Romans 1, and that's part in the guide. If you go into the guide, you'll see that. We talk a little bit about Romans 1. What God has done is He created within every one of us, and some people push it down within their lives, but He's created these values within us that we know that when we take a life, it's wrong. We don't have to be taught that. We just know it. Number three, the best is yet to come. We do live in a beautiful world, Uh, but no matter how beautiful this world is and no matter how gorgeous the sunsets and the sunrises are and the the lakes and the mountains and trees and the animals and just, just all this beautiful world that we live in we have no idea what the new heavens and the new earth are going to look like they they're going to be similar but they're going to be beyond our comprehension we're going to feel like we were blind and like we've never really saw things before uh, because the best is yet to come and then number four the day of judgment is coming one day, the one who created everything will come again and will come back to judge the world, the heavens and the earth, it says. And there's going to be a day of judgment. This means that evil will be judged once and for all, that the only way of escape to escape judgment is to have your sins covered by the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, there is a judgment coming, and so you can... You can live your life in one of two ways. You can live your life under the sun and try to make up purpose as you go along and try to find purpose in any way you can. Or you can look to your creator and say, why did you make me? What's my purpose? What would you like me to do? And give your life to him and find your forgiveness in him and find everything that you need in him. And when you do that, you find life. You find values. You begin to treat people with dignity and respect. Why? Because... You understand that's how he's created us to be. Um, so I want to ask you as we close, do you know Jesus, the logos, the purpose and meaning of your life? It's more than intellectually believing in Jesus, okay? And, and we need to be careful here. Because it's more than just saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And walk out and say, cool. We're do-. No, 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 no. Jesus will not allow you to do that. Um. <clears throat> Do you know him? Do you walk with him? There's a difference between knowing somebody and them knowing you and you knowing them. Having a relationship, right? You, you, we know of people. You know, maybe you know of famous people, right? But if that famous person came and saw you face to face, they wouldn't know you from Adam. But maybe some of you know a famous person. And, and if you were to say to me, I know of such and such, and I go, well, I don't believe that. Oh, Really? Oh, he's going to be in town next week. I'll bring him up. So he, you're, you bring him up next week. And I go, well, there you go. You do know him. Oh, yeah, I know this person. I've known, him, I've known him a long time. All right. You know, in the Bible it says this. Many will come to me on that day and say, Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. Jesus, we did this in your name. Jesus, we did this in your name. And Jesus said... This is what Jesus said. I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I should take your breath away. Jesus called people to come follow me. Have you given your life to him? He gave his life to you. John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't just dwell among us. He gave his life for us. And he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not only will you have your sins forgiven, not only will you have the hope of heaven, but you will begin to find the purpose of your life. Basically, the teacher, Solomon, says you are not going to find the purpose of life on this horizontal plane. It's all meaningless. But when you look to heaven, when you find the Creator, When you find the Savior, you find life, purpose, forgiveness, hope, joy, a future. Which one gives you more hope? Which one makes more sense of this life? I've given you four philosophies. Three of them are life under the sun. The last one is life with God, life with Jesus. You make the decision. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it does inform us about life both now and forever. Thank you that it makes sense of a lot of things. It gives us an ethic. It gives us a basic basis for living, for dealing with each other in a a way that is, is honoring. Help us to value life because you value life. Help us to understand what it means to Call upon you as Savior. Help us to understand what it means to follow you as Lord. And Father, as we move into a new year, um, give us the courage to look down. Give us the courage to look down, because if we're living a lie, if we're just saying, "Well, I don't want to look down. I don't want to think about it," we're not being honest. But when we look down, and we see our dilemma. Help us to remember to look up, because that's where we're going to find hope. That's where we're going to find healing and help and everything that we need. So thank you, Father, for your word and for its encouragement. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.